Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's associate director and your host, Emma Callender. Hello and welcome to the Travcast. My name is Emma Callender and I'm the Associate Director at the Traverse Theatre and this is my chance to speak with writers about the process of writing. I'm excited today because we have a bit of a new angle on writing because we're going to be talking with two translators that we're currently working with. I'll be speaking with Chris Campbell, who's the literary manager of the Royal Court and a translator from French to English. And he's working with us on Right Now by Catherine-Anne Torpin. And I'm also joined via Skype by Sasha Dugdale, who's just recently translated Take the Rubbish Out, Sasha, by Natalia Vorschbeet, um, which has been at the Traverse last week and gone down incredibly well. So welcome, Chris and Sasha. Hello. Hello. Um, I just want to make the audience aware as well, because we have Sasha joining us over Skype and we have Chris here in the studio with us. Studio in our wardrobe with us so if the audience hear any noises in the background then that will be the busy theatre going in and out of the green room and me getting changed into fancy dress (laughs) (laughs) exactly we've all just uh, put on all the costumes that are around us Um, but welcome thank you ever so much for joining us pleasure yeah I'd like to start with you Sasha if that's okay I'd like to start with the question um, of why you translate what is it about the translation process that you enjoy I began translating because I was working for the British Council in Russia and um, we, were on a, we were working on a big new writing project with Russian playwrights and it became very clear that there just weren't any translations and in order to work with the, the plays and the playwrights um, the translations had to exist so it was a, a sort of matter of necessity when I began although I had been translating a lot of poetry before um, I began pl- translating plays and then from then it's it's just taken off and and i i really love it i really enjoy it so it's it hasn't it hasn't been a problem but it's it's come to sort of define my working life really translation of poetry and plays <laughs> is there anything specific about the process that you find yourself in either enjoying or that makes you tear your hair out well the one thing about the one thing that poetry and plays have in common is voice and um, they're both for me anyway an oral medium and so um i love deeply love trying to um ventriloquize um russian characters into into english and and it does make me tear my hair out because it the two cultures are so different and people converse in such different ways uh, with such a different logic so it's also quite difficult to to translate that logic but the um but the the joy of it is the joy of hearing somebody that sounds like a real person coming through on the page. And I always translate out loud, so I can never work in a library. <laughs> um, that was wonderful, because with um, Take the Rubbish Out, Sasha, that was quite a difficult um, narrative for a Scottish audience to understand. You did such a beautiful job about of making those characters really come to life in a way that we could understand enough, but they still felt incredibly authentic. So they had a intrigue around them but really enough for us to be able to understand the heart of each of the characters well it's I don't know if if Chris will agree but when um, I'm translating something I'm always really desperate to somehow inhabit it and climb into it and um, 
and somehow pass those those characters unchanged through my head and onto the page in English. Mm. And it's it's deeply frustrating because you know you never will be able to. There's no such thing as a perfect translation. But on the other hand, the challenge is, is wonderful. It's a very creative challenge. Mm. So, Chris, how about you? Do you um do you translate out loud as well? I certainly do. Um, and it, I, I began translating when I was still working uh, predominantly as an actor. And I worked with the great French actress Isabelle Huppert at the National Theatre in London. And when she found out I spoke French, she asked me why I didn't translate French plays. And I'd never, it had never even occurred to me that the combination of theatre skill and language skills could be a productive one. So I started because if Isabelle Huppert tells you to do something, then you immediately obey. Uh, but I could not agree more uh, with Sasha about the, th the thrill of it, the intellectual thrill of it. There's just no better way to get to know a piece of work. And in fact, the mind of the original writer than by translating it. The plays I've translated, I think I know better than any other plays that I've experienced in any other way. And I also, incidentally, or perhaps not incidentally, become... I think it's fair to say become friends with virtually every writer I've ever translated because it's very hard not to form a personal bond with someone when you get to know, when you get to frolic about in their mind um, <laughs> as deeply as you do during this. And because I, I suppose it's fair to say I mainly translate comedy, to hear a laugh provoked by the words you have found to translate the laugh that you originally gave when you heard the French play that is just so profoundly satisfying. There's virtually nothing that compares with it, mm. I would say. In terms of laughs, it was incredible when we did the reading of Right Now, uh, which in its um, original form was called Apaisant, uh, and we had the um, Quebecois company, uh, Lalicon, come over, and the laughs were so rich, and there was in no way a sense of distance. Mm. It really felt like they were there directly in the room and that the audience, which were a mixture of both Quebecois and Scottish, um, and I'm sure other nationalities as well, but the, um, the, the laughs were just so active and it really felt that your job where, that you just spoke of, of being able to translate that original laughter, you'd done a wonderful job. <laughs> That's very kind of you to say so. The, the, the thing about laughter is I, I, don't want to, um, I don't want to come across as shallow and driven entirely by the approval of the public, but <laughs> laughter is not faked. It, it's never faked in, a, in an audience. And so it's, it's just it's the most palpable indicator that you've succeeded. And in exactly the same way as when you're an actor, if you're in a serious play and everybody's dying of boredom out there, you can convince yourself they're listening really hard. But if it's a comedy and they don't laugh, then you know you're, you're in trouble. A laugh, laughter is a very honest response. <laughs> how, about, how about comedy in, um, in Russian pieces? How do you go about that? And are there challenges inside that for you, Sasha? Yes, Russian humour is, is different. It's definitely different. It's yeah. very, very funny. And there have been plays, the Presnikov brothers, um, their play, playing the victim. When which I was here it, at the Traverse, wasn't it? Which was at the Traverse in Told by an Idiot and the Royal Court's um, joint production. That was a wonderful, wonderfully funny play to read in Russian. I remember laughing out loud on the train and sort of looking up and see all these people looking really startled because it was just enormously, well, it was just full of total belly laughs, really, the whole play right the way through, the kind of black humour of it. And I was really anxious that there should be some of that in in the English and I I don't know 
where I where I managed it. But what was interesting to me is sometimes the bits that you think are particularly funny in Russian aren't as funny in English, but then other bits which are perhaps less funny in Russian completely hilarious in English for no accountable reason. And I love that <laughs> the randomness of that, the fact you know these things have a life of their own. Translations have a life of their own. They go beyond you and um, and they're carried by their own creative dynamic, really. Hmm. Chris, you told me a wonderful story about translating One Man, Two Governors into French recently, so the opposite way around. Yes, I, I, into, into Canadian French as it happens. I was commissioned with a French-Canadian writer to, to do One Man, Two Governors into French-Canadian for, for a production in Montreal. And that was an extraordinary task because partly because some of the jokes needed well all of the jokes needed massive cultural translation but also there are jokes and Sasha's hinting at this I think that there's something irrational about comedy and there are things well the one I mentioned to you earlier there's a line in one man two governors where one character says no first names only girls and Norwegians have first names and it's extremely difficult sitting here as we are in the Travers wardrobe <laughs> to explain why that's so funny when you hear it in the context of the play. And it was very difficult for me to explain to the, to the Montreal writer that, yes, indeed, it was uh, girls and Norwegians. And he kept saying, but Norwegians, why is that funny? And I'm on Skype in London going, I don't know why it's funny. It just is, which obviously is not a thing a professional translator should say. <laughs> so in in that case there were some things we could translate like all the jokes about cricket became jokes about ice hockey uh which has a similar cultural positioning over there but norwegians and also the line about buggering dolphins we just had to translate it and hope for the best <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> you've um you've both uh started to pick up on the the idea of authorship which is obviously one of the main themes of translation so I'd just like to hear more from you about where that line lives between you being the facilitator but then also there must be some sense of authorship that the translator has as well but not wanting to step across that boundary too far to step on the writer's toes. Sasha? Well translation is always a dialogue and it must be a dialogue of of equals in the sense that there must be an equal force pushing back from the English side, English speaking side, to, to get a, a proper translation and a translation that works. Where that isn't the case, it's, a, it's usually an, a, a poor translation or it's a translation that doesn't get everything across. Um, a translation which is o overwhelmingly domesticating or a translation which is so estranging in its foreignness that that it loses the communication with the with the audience so i, I think that it's a sort of equality really in the relationship that ensures that a translation works um and so the, the question of authorship has has never really um come into that it's it's something different it's something about um being in conversation but in a way that suits the way the very communal way that theatre operates anyway because you'd be hard pushed to um, find the author of a of a of a production. Is it the director, or is it sort of you know the the ensemble, the cast, or is it the the writer or the lighting specialist? It's just it's a whole it's a it's a complete community effort, and that that's what what's quite sort of utopian about translating for theatre. These questions don't don't come up in the same way. Mm. 
it's interesting from the director's point of view um, when you can feel that something's very clearly a literal translation and then you read something that's just on the boundaries of being a literal translation heading towards a performance translation and then one that's very definitely a performance translation. So, Chris, do you have any um, insight just into... I know you have very clear different briefs as to what you're writing each time, but just where those boundaries lie. Well, I was thinking about this last year because for the first time um, in my career, I, I translated a classic. Um, I, I did a, a version of Molière's Tartuffe for the Birmingham Rep. And I, I was struck by how different it is. Firstly, obviously, you can't Skype Molière in the way that I routinely Skype the people I normally I'm translating but also the sense that the play obviously is going to survive anything I do to it and so on the with, with the encouragement of the director I Birminghamized it and mm -hmm. there were jokes about Wolverhampton in it and stuff like that you know so it's not it's not a translation for the ages it was a very specific translation when you're translating as I usually am living writers and writers who are largely unknown um, in this country I, there is a responsibility to make it work, a, 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 an awareness that this is that writer's, that play's chance, that it's unlikely it will be translated again. Um, and, and there is a sense of responsibility there. The only difficulties I've ever experienced have been with writers who speak quite good English uh, and who then ask questions which are obviously legitimate that they should ask, but they're very, very difficult to answer because the answer involves a a complete understanding of English, such as only a native speaker and an experienced and skilled one at that can hope to have. So mm. writers who say, why have you changed this when it means X? And you, uh, it's difficult to say why X, although correct, is not the best translation. And that, I, can I give you an example of what yeah. I'm talking about? I, I, I was on, um, on the train yesterday up to Edinburgh. I was listening to a piece of music which is, there's a French group called Les Grumes, and they've done a version of Wagner's Ring Cycle with a kind of cafe band. Right. And it lasts about an hour and a half, and it's absolutely brilliant. They performed it at the National Theatre a few years ago, so I've got the CD. And in French, it's called La Tetralogie à Quatre Sous. And in English, that would be the four-cent tetralogy. tetralogy. Mm -hmm. And that would be a correct translation of the title. But no one who... No one who knows anything about Wagner or English or French would translate that as the Tetralogy Akatsu, even though uh, as the, uh, the, the, the four cent tetralogy. It's obviously the Thrutney Ring Cycle. It has to be, because the Thrutney Opera in French is translated as L'Opera Akatsu. So that's what that Katsu is doing. It's, it's saying this is the Thrutney Ring Cycle. Um, they don't call it the Ring Cycle, we do. So that's a slightly involved, but you see what I mean? There are, there are almost infinite ways of translating mm. any given phrase, and many of them will be correct but wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to try and explain that to a writer who has got a very good A-level in English, which yeah. is not enough. Yeah. It's interesting hearing the moments where, um, where there are some conflict, because I can imagine, obviously, a playwright is so very precious with their work, as they should be, um, to varying degrees, we know. Um, but then to pass that over, that element of communication to a translator, I, I know is similar to passing across to a director, to an actor, 
so on but there's there's that sense of trust especially if it's a language that you don't speak mm. where you have to ultimately trust the translator which fascinates me um you must engender trust in the writers that you work with um and that takes me on to culture because um again you've both picked up on this but it's not just the literal translation of the words even in your example there there's an element of culture that comes in so sasha um, taking Take the Rubbish Out Sasha as an example, um, what were the challenges in that piece which looked very much at the history and current um, state of the Ukrainian political situation and military situation? Um, what were the challenges that you found there in communicating that to a, um, a Scottish audience? The uh, Yes, it's something about the fact that conversation in a play however apparently superficial has very very deep roots um in a in a wider cultural context and a, a, a past a heritage a history and so each line when you're translating it although it, it does just appear like a, a very short line or just a, you know a sort of conversation you have to take all that into account somehow and f find a way of expressing it or hinting at it in in English in the English language and so in in take the rubbish out Sasha there's particular there were particular struggles to convey the 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 nature of Ukrainian society and the way that um, men and women cohabit and coexist um, the way that men um, are um, so the way that women are particularly powerful in Ukrainian society, they're often the wage earners, they're often supporting huge families, and um, the men are often, um, they feel redundant, they feel um, dismissed, they feel useless, um, they often drink, they often um, um, spend a lot of time with their friends drinking, so there's, and that there's, that all has its, that all comes from the, sort of the various issues in Ukrainian society and some, and it, it doesn't always correspond with anything, exactly anything here. So you have to try and convey that in different ways and inevitably slightly partially. You can only really, really hint at that these things. But, but it is interesting, for example, when you see, I mean, there's a, a culture in, um, in British theatre of using playwrights to translate from literals. And I, I particularly think of Chekhov because um, I, it's it's a, it's a, it's just so common. And I always wonder how much of the the wider culture of Russia comes across in those translations, because of course the literals are fairly basic, and the playwrights who who work from the literals don't really know a great deal about Russian culture and language. So um, so very much more gets gets lost. So it's it's um. It's a it's an interesting balancing act the whole time. Mm. It's interesting from um, from somebody as myself who hasn't been to Russia. I can definitely feel when the culture seems to be coming through, or when the translator is putting a block there for me. And for me, that's the best example of a of of a good or a bad translation. If I can feel that it has some life from where the original came from, that's for me what really attracts me to a translation and then the detail. Yeah, there should be something after. Yes, there should be something strange about translation as well as something familiar. And I think it should always take us a little bit further than um than we know. It should take us into a into a around which is perhaps not entirely strange but strange enough that it hints at 
at strangenesses that we just don't really know or understand. And that those translations are always the greatest translations for me. I don't want to be reminded of what I know already. I want to be faced with, with you know, genuinely different cultures. Mm. It's lovely, that sense of intrigue, isn't it? That um, makes you just want to go there. <laughs> um, what I'd like to ask Chris, um, in terms of culture, um, what the challenges that live inside that of being able to find that translation of culture, not just language? I think there are two aspects to this question. One is the culture that the play has sprung from social surroundings and sometimes that can be as simple as for example very often in French plays people will talk about food um, in a way which would be remarkable in a similar social context in England I remember a play I did years ago where a, a working class family discussed food and wine in a way which would be something that you were meant to notice had the play been written in England or in Scotland, uh, but which was routine for in, in French culture. So that's one thing. The other thing is, is theatrical culture. Um, some things are accepted in French theatrical culture, which are not over here on the whole. For example, lengthy um, monologues with no particular um, social or political um, underpinning. Uh, theatre as language, as voice, as heightened speech, all things which are different when they appear in English. And so sometimes sometimes you find yourself working with a theatrical culture. But that the, the way that most affects me is in my choice of what to translate, because that's the first act of translation you make if, if you're in that kind of freelance world, is what are you going to translate? And part of what informs my choice is what might possibly get a production in a British context, in a UK context, because this in, it's hard enough to get a play on in this country that you've written. It's doubly, if not trebly hard, to get on a play written in another language by someone the artistic director has never heard of. So I do, on the whole, look for plays which I like, of course, which I feel inspired by, but also which I think have a chance. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I, I could, of course, translate just for the pleasure of the words on the paper but in common with everyone else who's ever contemplated writing any kind of theatre text I would like to get it on. Which leads us perfectly to the end of this Travcast because um, Chris and I have to head off into a production meeting now and then the first day of rehearsals uh, for Right Now by Catherine Anne Topin who we didn't know here at the Traverse until the um, until Lalicon came with the reading and we were so impressed that we knew that we had to just produce it so thank you chris for making the right choice <laughs> i feel on that one um and thank you so much sasha for your time today it's been really fascinating hearing all about a world which is all quite foreign to me good luck thank you so much thanks sasha We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.